Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. I'd have you turn your Bibles with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. Today, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 9. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. I don't know if any of you had the opportunity to visit uh, Jonathan Edwards' grave, um, but I took the lads with me this week, and we went there. Uh, he was buried at Princeton. He was at, uh, president of Princeton for a very short period of time. A uh, great man of God um, who... Uh, uh, was famous for many things. I loved his 70 resolutions that he made. And uh, we read, uh, I read the first resolution, and then we had a word of prayer, and we prayed that we would, God would give us the strength to emulate such a godly man, our brother in Christ. Perhaps Jonathan Edwards, and maybe this is not a good thing, but perhaps he's most famous for his sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Has anyone ever Heard that or read that? I see a couple of hands. Okay. Um, it's definitely not a politically correct sermon. That's for sure. Um, but Edwards was, a lot of people don't know this. He was actually expositing um, Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, when it says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but when Jesus Christ came the first time, he came as a, a lamb. But when Jesus Christ comes back again, he comes back as a lion to make war on the earth. You see, God is love. And that's why Christ came to the church. But God is also holy and just. And that's why when Christ comes back, he will come back with his wrath on the earth. Because as we mentioned before, in Psalm 711, the Bible says that God is angry at the wicked every day. All the wickedness and the injustice uh, that goes on in the earth today, God sees it. Now, he doesn't come back because he's long suffering and he wants people to get saved. But Peter, here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 to 9, he is speaking about the false prophets and that they will be judged. There are people today standing behind a pulpit that manipulate people and are rich as a result. And you may think, wow, it's amazing that God doesn't strike them dead. Why are they getting away with this? Well, they're not getting away with it. In fact, there is a day coming for everyone. We as believers will stand before the beam of seat of Christ and there will be rewards or a lack of rewards based on how we serve God. And those that don't know Christ as Savior will stand before the great white throne. And that's what Peter's bringing out here. The, the title of my message today is Judgment's Coming. And uh, there's four points. God judged the angelic beings. 
And the angels are a little bit higher than us. And he judged them. Then he'll judge others. God, he judged the entire world. People say, you know, God is just love. Well, he judged the whole world through a flood. So we know he does judge. He judges believers. You and I, he judges right now through a reaping and sowing process. And we'll look at that. And the Lord judges the lost for eternity. It's very tragic. And so we want to look at these things today. So again, the title is Judgment is Coming. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray today as we look at this important topic, a topic that is very sobering, a topic that is um, not something that we necessarily want to hear, um, but it's a topic that's in your scriptures, in your word. And Father, so there's a good reason for it. Lord, I, I imagine one of the reasons is that we are prone to focus on the temporal opposed to the eternal. And so help us. Help us through this message to realize that eternity is coming. For us as believers, the way we live our lives now will have an impact on our, our part in eternity. Rewards, authority, etc. Help us also as believers to realize that the unsaved will meet doom. And may we, may we, by your grace, want to live for you to be a light. And as we have opportunities to share the gospel. And Father, perhaps someone here will be listening uh, that is unsaved. May this be a reminder that judgment is coming. So, Father, we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, verse four, and you see the context. We'll just read verse three as a way of context. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. In other words, God sees what they do and he is aware and he doesn't slumber. He's giving them every opportunity to get saved, but it leads into, but judgment is coming. Okay, look at verse four. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned. Now, Isaiah chapter 14 teaches that Lucifer one time was a cherub and he went against God. He tried to rebel against God the five I wills in Isaiah 14 and God sent him for destruction. In fact, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. Now listen to this, this is important that the hell that hell was made for the devil and his angels. What angels? According to Revelation chapter 12 it seems to allude to the fact in verse 4 that when lucifer rebelled against god one third of the angels followed in that rebellion and therefore those angels are known as fallen angels or demons and sometimes they're just referred to as angels as here now these angels we talked about 
in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, we don't have to turn back there, but it's interesting to note that in that passage and in this passage, right after that, it talks about the flood. What makes me think that it goes back to what took place at the flood. Because you look in verse in verse 5, it says, and if and and did not spare the ancient world, and then, and it goes on. Same thing in First Peter three, following verse eighteen. So these demons that were judged had something to do with Noah's flood. Now go to Jude chapter six, or excuse me, Jude chapter one, verse six. There's only one chapter, um, but in Jude, this this book of Jude parallels. Second uh, Peter chapter three, but in verse six, and I'm going to turn to Genesis six in a moment because again, both times it's Peter mentions these angels that were judged. He mentions the flood. Now, verse six, I think, gives us insight into these angels as well, these demons, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness. And then it says, for the judgment of the great day. You see that? So these angels, they left their abode. Their abode is their tent. Okay? So whatever angels are made of, they left that. Okay? And these angels leaving that, they went in and housed themselves in something else. Now, when angels are mentioned in the scriptures, oftentimes they're mentioned as men. You see that um, with Gabriel. Uh, you see that with, uh, in, in the story with, with Lot. They were men. Now, keeping all that in mind, I want us to go to Genesis 6, because this is going to lead into point 2 as well. So we may as well go here. We're going to get points 1 and 2 right here out of Genesis 6. But the first thing we want to see is, God said, I have judged the angels. Now, the angels have been judged, but the judgment is temporary. So there's some angels, some demons that did something so hideous that God is not allowing them to go about. Like the Bible says that the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he made about, right? So his judgment is future. And, and most of the demons, their judgment is future. They go about causing havoc. But these demons did something so hideous, God says, I'm going to put you in a dungeon, and then I'm going to take you out, and I'm going to judge you again. So what happened in Genesis? Look at verse 1. And by the way, I mentioned this before when I mentioned this in the first Peter passage. This is a very controversial subject. And many commentaries don't hold the view that I hold. I'm going to tell you that up front. But I think it's the right view. That's why I hold it, obviously. But I wouldn't be dogmatical. Now, Genesis 6, verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. And that's normal. So there's men on the earth and they have daughters, right? That the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Now, the sons of God, you can go to, don't turn there, but you can go to Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, and you can see the sons of God accompanied the devil before the throne of God. And I think the sons of God are 
angels, but they're fallen angels or demons. That's what I think is it's mentioned. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they are beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. So remember, you saw in Jude uh, verse six that they left their abode. So they left their abode, their whatever their physical house was, and they manifested themselves into men, which again, we see that throughout the scriptures, and they married these women. Now look, verse, skip verse three, we'll go back to that. Look at verse four. There were giants on the earth in those days. And that, the word giants, there's a whole process of why that was translated giants, but it shouldn't be. The word means fallen ones. The word is Nephilim, and it's the fallen ones. Now, what were the angels? They're fallen angels. So the demons or fallen angels here is mentioned. There were giants on the earth or fallen ones or angels that manifest themselves into men. I believe that that's what that means. In those days and also afterwards, when the sons of God, so there were the, the, these individuals, these fallen ones, walking around the earth, right? In those days, And they married women, and they had, um, uh, they knew them physically, and they bore children, and then these children were giants, mighty men, who were, who were of old, men of renown, or as you can imagine, people that were popular, renowned, uh, popular, or they, they, they were people that drew attention to themselves. So apparently if we put together first peter 3 and second peter which the passage we're looking at it goes back to this passage so these demons left their abode they became men and they made it with women they married it and made it and then there is a race that were called uh, they were a giant they were giants and they were fallen ones now you look at that and say, well, that sounds like science fiction. Well, so does um, parting the Red Sea. So does calling fire out from heaven and burning down a, sac a, a sacrifice, right? So that's what I think happens. Now, just on a side note, there are 888 human giants documented in North America alone. And evolution is like to hide that. Uh, and if you go to Numbers chapter 13, you have to turn there, verse 33, the reason why the men were afraid to go into the promised land is because there were giants in the land and they were grasshoppers in their sight. Now somehow that gene had to get onto the ark, but that's a whole nother story. Now, look at verse um, five. 
because the second thing we see is he judged the world. So the first thing, these angels did something so hideous, God said, you're going to go into hell for now, and then I'm going to take you out, and then you're going to get your eternal punishment. That's how hideous it was. Is it? Hideous it was. What did they do? I think they somehow had an influence here, because look at verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was so great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So apparently, these Nephilim had a great influence on the world. So much so that the thoughts of men were always evil. And the Bible says in verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man who I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and, 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 and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Side note, sin affects people that weren't involved with sin. The animals didn't have anything to do with this, but they're going to be wiped out as well. The person that hops in their car and is drunk and, and nails somebody else, that person's sin has now affected this other people. Keep that in mind. Now, and so the second point here, the first point is he judged the angelic beings. And the second point, and again, a select few. And the second point is he judged the world, not a small section of the world, the entire earth. The entire earth was immersed underwater. And in 2 Peter 3, we'll look into that more because it speaks of that as well. Now, the Bible says this um, in verse 12. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And verse 13, and God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, now look, I will destroy them with what? The earth, not a small section. Some people try to say the entire earth was destroyed by God. And so when Peter is writing, he's saying, listen, yes, God is love. And yes, people are doing wickedly, but they're not going to get away with it. They will be judged. And here's some evidence to support that God is not just love, but God is also a righteous judge. He flooded the whole earth and he destroyed everyone. By the way, a side note. I love verse nine, Genesis six. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. That means he was justified before God, not by works, but by faith, perfect in his generation. That means he was blameless. You couldn't see anything that really stood out that he was doing wrong habitually. And then it said, Noah walked with God. And you know what's interesting is that Noah lived in this time of such great wickedness that this long-suffering, merciful, and loving God finally said, I can't take it anymore, and I'm flooding the entire world. And yet Noah, in the midst of all that, walked with God. That should be a, an encouragement and a challenge to us. In the midst of our darkness, 
we can walk with God. And not only that, Noah, the only people that got on the boat was his uh, wife and then the three uh, sons and the three daughter-in-laws. And that's not failure because his family knew him best. He was the real deal in the midst of darkness. Now, let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, 4, excuse me. 2 Peter chapter 2, and we'll see this now, reiterate it. What I just said is reiterate it here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Excuse me, verse 5. We looked at verse 4. We saw that he didn't spare the demons of old. We see in verse 5, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. Noah preached, by the way, for not 120 days. Not 120 weeks. No, it wasn't 120 months that God gave people an opportunity to repent despite them being so evil. It was 120 years that God gave people to repent, which points here, and we must point this out, I think, in a sermon like this, of God's love and long-suffering. You see, God doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah gave the people an opportunity to get saved. Whether they got saved or not, that's on them. But God is glorified. God threw out the lifeline for 120 years. Now, he judged the world. He also judged Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemned them to destruction making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah sits there now as an example of God's judgment on a city that was an open sex city. That means anything goes. And God finally said, that's it. I'm judging them. And guess what country is getting very close to that? Very, very close, aren't we? Now, I thought it was interesting. An archaeologist by the name of Dr. Collins did excavations on this city. And he found that there was irrefutable evidence that that city was burned with extreme heat. He said this, diamond-like carbon melted construction materials, melted pottery, melted mud bricks, high-pressure shot quartz, high-temperature melted minerals, and even melted nuggets of iridium, and many other metals in melt glass were found. And all this shows evidence that this city was exposed to temperatures greater than 1,300 degrees Celsius, which is much higher than Fahrenheit, and 2,500 degrees Celsius in a brief exposure as well. 
Isn't that amazing how excavations point that out? I know someone that was over in that area and said that people would bring back little balls of sulfur to show what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. So in verse 6, when it says, making them an example of those who afterward who would, would live ungodly, God points out the evidence of his existence and his judgments to point to that there's a day coming that we will die and stand before God. To the whole world. And the world, for the most part, does not fear God. The world, for the most part, does not fear death. Because they don't fear God. And yet there's this evidence that gets covered up. Tragic and sad. Now, Peter goes on. He judges believers. What do you mean? Verse 7. And delivered righteous Lot. Remember what Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God had to physically pull him out of there before he poured out his wrath. And part of that is, is, is because of the prayers of Abraham, the deliverance. And delivered righteous Lot, look at this, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. The word oppressed means to wear out with toil. If you, uh, we, yesterday we went over to the, the Cheesequake Park and we did the, the, um, the trail. And we did it fast. I tried to keep up with my son-in-law. And when you try to keep up with him and you do a trail, uh, you think walking doesn't tire you out. But when you're up and down trying to keep up with him, it does wear you out. And uh, I slept really well last night. Now, that's the idea of that word, okay? You know, when you're working all day, you're doing something, you're just tired, and you just hit, hit the rack, and you can sleep on a bed of nails, right? That's the idea. So he was... He was worn out. He was vexed because of what he saw around him. In a sense, that's judgment, isn't it? The word is in the middle voice. It means he oppressed himself. Him staying there, he should have got out of there. But he was somehow, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't break away, is the idea. And so he oppressed himself. And then in verse 8, it says this. For that righteous man, he was a believer. Remember, you're saved uh, as a gift. It's by faith. It's by trust in Christ. So he was a believer. But it says dwelling among men. And then it says tormented his righteous soul from day to day. Every single day. And that the word torment is just that. It's to, it's to torture. And it's in the imperfect tense. It means continuous and repeated. It's kind of a built-in judgment. You see, if there's sin in our lives and, and it's habitual sin, and we know God wants, us out, wants, it, wants it out of our lives, and we keep going back to that, that will torment us. It's a sense of judgment. Because God wants us to turn back to him. And that's what he faced. And uh, it was God who had to rescue him. And then you look at verse 9 and you say, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. 
and he did in that sense. So um, if you look at Lot, he was he was tormented and he couldn't break free. And God stepped in and said, I will rescue him. And he sent the angels and the angels came in and rescued him before God poured out his wrath on uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. But so you say, yeah, but God rescued him. Yes, he rescued him, but not without consequences. I mentioned this before. Sin is like it's like a block of wood. Here's a block of wood, and sin is like a nail getting drived into that wood. And then we confess that sin, and God takes the claw of the hammer, and he pulls the nail out, and we're forgiven. But then the wood has a hole in it, and that's what sin does. And so God wants us to walk the straight and narrow, so there's not consequences. Now, this man had great consequences. Go to Genesis chapter 19. Let me show you. So we're looking at judgment and God judges believers. He judges them through a reaping and sowing process. And because there's consequences with sin. And thankfully, the consequences aren't as bad as they should be. Psalm 103. He doesn't judge us according to our sin. But there's still consequences. And Genesis chapter 19, or excuse me, yeah, Genesis chapter 19. And by the way, the greater the sin, the greater the consequences. So it's important for us to keep our, our, our account of sin short. In other words, when we sin, we need to confess it and turn from it and not stay in it and complicate things because it gets worse and worse, like David, King David. Now, Genesis 19 verse 4 now look at this now when now before they lay down the men of the city the son the men of sodom both old and young all the people from every quarter surrounded the house it's lot's house and they surrounded it because the angels who looked like men okay were in the house now look what it says and they called a lot and said where are the men who came to you tonight Bring them out to, to us that we may know them carnally, sexually, is the idea. So Lot went out to them through the door. I shut the door behind him and said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. Now look at this. This is how sin affects because his mind was deluded. Let's look what he says. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man, please let me bring them out to you that you may do to them as you wish. Since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. You say, that's disturbing. It should be disturbing. It's evil. He wasn't thinking right. When you live under that sin for day after day and week after week, and month after month, your mind is affected. God rescued those daughters. He couldn't rescue himself, and he was going to put his daughters in harm's way. You see, sin, there's consequences to sin. 
And it even gets worse at the end of the chapter, and I'm not even going to read it because most of you know the story, what his daughters did, getting him drunk and bearing children. You see, sin has a great price. If you look at the wrong things and you listen to the wrong things and you expose yourself to the wrong things, particularly for a, 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 a substantial period of time, there are consequences. But I don't see the consequences. Well, you don't see the grass grow and you don't see your hair grow, but it does. And so the lesson for us is to stay in God's word and don't bring the, wor the world into our minds and our hearts and into our homes because there's consequences. Now, the last point as we go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to try to move through this last point quickly because I know we have the, the Lord's Supper. But 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the second part of that verse, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 2, excuse me, verse 9, it says this, and the first point, the last point is this, the Lord judges the lost for eternity. And I want you to see this, verse 9, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment. Now look at this, for the day of judgment. There is a day of reckoning that is coming. For us, there is a day, but that day is a bema seat. It's a reward or an award banquet. Uh, very similar to this platform. The bema seat was an elevated platform. And when people were in the Olympic games and they won, they would come up on platform and they would be given a, a wreath on, on their head. And for Olympic athletes today, there's a medal that goes around their neck. And some will get more than others. And so the way we live our lives here on earth will dictate our position in heaven. Uh, the parable of the sower, an example. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, which speaks about uh, your, the, the, the wood, hay, and stubble, and the gold and, and precious metals. Uh, Revelation chapter 20, I think, alludes to that as well. And I was going to turn there, but we're kind of low on time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that. But there's a day coming, and Brother Eric read today out of Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, and that day, it, that day, unfortunately, is for the unsaved. And it's a great white throne judgment, and they will be uh, resurrected out of hell, and they will stand before God, and they will bow the knee to Christ. Remember it says that every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. That's going to happen that day. And it doesn't matter if they're rich and famous, or, or if they're great athletes, or if they're uh, movie actors or actresses, everyone is on equal footing. They will bow to Christ, and then they will get their exact judgment for all of eternity. And we'll watch there. We'll be there. And it is true, but it's also tragic. And so we will be there to see that. And so may that help us.
and encourage us and remind us to live for eternity and to be a light to our community so God will pull people out of the fire. Now, that brings us to the Lord's Supper. And I want us to just to turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Thankfully, Jesus Christ came and died. And he died for our sins. And he died so that we someday when we die to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so when we die as believers, immediately our souls will go to be with the Lord. And then for us with the church age, when the rapture comes, our bodies will be united with our soul and we'll have glorified bodies forever. And it's all because of Christ. It's not by good works. It's not by our efforts. It's not because we're better than anyone else. It's strictly because the grace of God that he offers this free gift of eternal life that anyone who would receive it by faith. Receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Now when Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, before he died on the cross, he instituted the Lord's Supper. And so we celebrate it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, as often as you do this. So we don't know how often we should celebrate it. So we do it here once a month on the first Sunday of the month. And why? Because it's a reminder what Jesus did for us. But by the grace of God, we could be at that white throne judgment. But Jesus Christ took our place on the cross. His body was brutally beaten and his blood was shed for our sin. And so before we partake, we're going to partake of the, the elements of the Lord's Supper. And uh, before we pray, I'm going to, if anyone does not have a, a packet, raise your hand. And uh, Dale or Bruce can get you that packet. Anyone all that does not have a packet? Okay, it looks like, looks like everyone has one. Very good. I forget it every week, but my wife brings it to me, so... Now, we're going to have a time of prayer to ourselves. And what we're going to do is we're going to think about what Jesus did in the cross. That Jesus Christ took our place. He walked as a human and his body was brutally beaten and his blood was shed for our sins. So it's a time for us to muse over what he did for us. It's also time for us if there's sin in our hearts and we know it or even if we don't know it. Take a time and say, God, is there something in my heart that is wrong with you? Bring it to my attention. And he will. And then confess that before you partake because we want to make sure we're in right standing with God before we're taking this. So let's have a time of praying to ourselves and then we will joined together in a partaking of the, the bread and the juice.
Now, as we look to Mark chapter 14, verse 22, it says this, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then it says in verse 23, then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drunk, drank from it. So we are to as well drink from it. And as a reminder, verse 24, it says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for money. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what can we say? What words can be uttered to a God who is so powerful and holy and righteous? You hate sin. You can't even look upon it. Your eyes are pure. Too pure to behold it. And yet, because you loved us, even though we were sinners, even though we were enemies, because of your love, strictly out of love, you sent your son to die for us. God in the flesh, to be brutally beaten and executed on a cross. Father, you did that for us. Each of us individually, because you love us. So, Lord, we thank you for your love. Father, help us today. Help us to remember that there's a day of reckoning coming for this world. Help us to live for eternity. Help us to be the light to the community. Help us, Lord, to set our affections on the things above and not on the things of this earth. Because Lord, we struggle with it. We struggle with it. We need your strength. We need your power. And we thank you for all these things. And we pray in Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.